Good morning. Welcome to the Oasis. We're glad each of you are here this morning for our 9 o'clock service. And we're glad there are those of you joining us from your homes this morning as well. Literally all over the world, people are watching our service this morning. Isaiah 44 and 45 is where we will be this morning as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be starting in chapter 45, but we're going to be in chapter 44 as well. This whole series has been about where do God's people stand in a world of shifting sand? Who or what is our surety, our security, our stability? This is what the prophet Isaiah was sharing with the people of God even thousands of years ago because it was messages given by God to his people who either were about to go into exile, were already in exile, or were getting ready to come out of exile. As we said last week, they were either going through deep waters, going through flooded streams, going through raging fires, or getting ready to do so. And that's why the message of Isaiah is so relevant to us today. Because many of you who are watching this morning and some of you who are here this morning, you're going through some deep waters, some flooded streams, some raging fires. And God has a message for all of us, no matter what season of life we are in or circumstances of life we're trying to navigate. You see, God wants his people, no matter what we're going through, to live with confidence and to live in hope. And I think this message this morning, again, from the book of Isaiah, is designed to do that for God's people. It, it all starts with a God who reveals himself. That's how we know anything about God is because he is a God who reveals himself. He reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself through the word of God. He reveals himself through his son, Jesus Christ, the pinnacle of his revelation, according to Hebrews chapter 1. He reveals himself to others through his people, and he even reveals himself through those who aren't his people, as we're going to see this morning. God reveals himself in and through everything in the universe. And why does God reveal himself? Because God wants us to know him, to know him. In fact, look at a couple of these verses from the book of Isaiah. Uh, towards the middle of verse 3 of Isaiah 45, Isaiah 45 to the middle of verse 3, it starts with the word so. That's always purpose. What's God's purpose in all of this that Isaiah is talking about? So you may recognize, or literally in the Hebrew, know that I am the Lord. Then if you go down to verse 6 of Isaiah 45, you see a very similar phrase. God says, I do this so people will recognize or know from east to west that there is no God but me. God's purpose in all of the revelation that he has given, even in our lifetime, through Isaiah's lifetime, and all of that 
It's so that people will come to recognize or know him. But this isn't just a knowledge of, oh, yeah, I understand God exists. No. This is, as we've talked about many times before at the Oasis, this is a personal, intimate, experiential knowledge. This is becoming thoroughly acquainted with God or with anyone. It's that kind of knowledge. So it has to go beyond just, you know, analytically or intellectually uh, apprehending or comprehending or understanding some facts about God. No, it's entering into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and literally then walking with God every day, growing in our knowledge of God. It's what we do as human beings with people, right? Those of people in your life, whether they're family, friends, coworkers, that you have a close relationship with. What do you have to do to develop that? It doesn't just happen. You got to talk to each other. You got to spend time together. You got to hang out together. You got you to be with each other and grow with each other in order to become thoroughly acquainted with each other. And it takes time. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us, with all of us, but obviously, especially his own people, because God understands something that we all need to embrace and understand. It is in our growing knowledge of God that we will feel more sure, more secure, and more stable. It is through our growing knowledge of God that we're going to even see today through these passages of Isaiah that we will realize or even be reminded of four things about our God. That our God is accessible, that our God is reliable, that our God is an ever-present help to us, and that he is powerful and therefore can give us all the strength we will need to go through the deep waters, the flooded streams, and the raging fires. That's what God wanted his people to even see in Isaiah's day. So I want to begin with this knowledge of God being accessible. Notice what the Word of God says in Isaiah 45, verse 19. 45, 19. God says, I have not spoken in secret, in some hidden place. I did not tell Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. God says, I have always revealed myself. I've always put myself out there so that others can find me who are interested in finding me. I'm not hiding. I never have. And when I sent my own son, Jesus Christ, to the earth, he did everything very much out in the open. Anyone who is interested in coming to know God through Jesus, and obviously who wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus never turned down anyone who truly wanted to follow him and get to know him. But again, it comes back to that understanding of knowing from God's perspective, God's point of view. That's why Jesus even said to Philip, one of his disciples, after Philip had been following him for a while, he says, Philip, after so long a time, you still don't know me. 
Again, we can wrap our minds around that because there are people that we can be close to in proximity to, even a lot, and yet they still don't know us. There can be others that we spend much less time with who know us better than those who are in close proximity. So it's not just the idea of being with. It's the idea of truly desiring and wanting to get to know the person that you're walking with, and in this case, God. He's calling his people to a personal, intimate, experiential, firsthand knowledge of him because it's in growing in this knowledge with God every day that we realize how accessible he is. I say that because I want you then to go to verse 22 of Isaiah 45 and see what God is saying. He says, turn to me so you can be delivered, saved, rescued. Now, we know in this context, he's talking to people about being saved and rescued and, and delivered through and from eventually exile. But this would apply to any of us today, no matter what we need delivered from, saved from, rescued from, and even what we need to get through the flooded streams, the deep waters, and the raging fires that life will bring every once in a while. God is saying, look to me, literally, turn to me, face me, you see. Turn away from everything else and turn to me. Look to me. Look to the one who sweat great drops of blood. Look to the one who was mocked and spit upon. Look to the one whose beard was ripped out. Look to the one who was scourged and whose back was ripped apart by Roman flagrums. Look to the one who was nailed to a cross. Look to the one who was buried in a tomb Look to the one who rose from the dead. Look to the one who ascended back to the Father. Look to the one who is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding and praying for every last one of us. Look to him and be delivered today. Because he's accessible. There is no one in the whole world that is too far away from God that if they want to turn to him, look to him and face him so that they can be helped and delivered and rescued and saved, that God will not save, rescue, deliver, or help. There's no one here today. There's no one watching over live stream today that if we simply turn to him because he's accessible, he has made a way for us to turn to him. And if you've never turned to him, you can turn to him today and be delivered from all your sin for all time, totally forgiven, enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. That's what Isaiah is saying. Look to him. Turn to him. 
He's there for you right now. And the more we walk with God, the more we know God, the more we realize how near, how close he is. Even to his own people. If you can now go back to chapter 44 and look at verse 22. Even to his own people at this point, because remember the reason that they were in exile is because they had walked away from their God. God never walked away from them. They walked away from God. So notice what God says at the end of verse 22 of chapter 44. Come back to me. Return to me. I protect you. I redeem you. It doesn't matter how far away we've walked from God, even as God's people. It doesn't matter how long We've walked away from God and not been close to God, not been interested in God, not engaged with God. God is still always accessible to his people. He's always saying, come. He's always inviting. What's the great invitation of Jesus? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. God's invitation, because he's always accessible, is come. Come. I'm here. I'm near. I'm accessible. You can come to me. You can turn to me. You can look to me. God reminded his people. Look at verse 21. He says, remember, mark these things, O Jacob, O Israel, my people. Yes, you're my servant, but also, as we talked about last week, I formed you, I will not forget you, and I forgave you. I removed all the guilt of your rebellious deeds. For the Lord protects Jacob, look at the end of verse 23, and he reveals his splendor, his glory, his beauty to Israel. Now, Israel and the church are not the same thing. But in principle, God does the same thing today with his people, the church. He has formed us. He will never forget us. He has forgiven us. And he demonstrates and expresses his glory his splendor, his beauty through his people, the church. And that's why he's always saying, look, return, come back, face me. The accessibility of God. And the more you and I know God, I mean truly know him, the more we will realize how accessible he is. There is no place, no time Nothing that, that we can't get to God. He's a prayer away. He's a look away. He's just a heartbeat away. You don't have to say anything. God already knows what we're thinking and feeling anyway inside. It's just him seeing that our heart has turned to him. He's there. So the first thing Isaiah is trying to encourage God's people to see with the message that he's been given from God is that God wants you to know him. This is why he is revealing himself continuously, continuously to us so that we are reassured and reminded that God is accessible. But God's not only accessible, God is also reliable. Go back to chapter 45. And look at the end of verse 19. 45, 19. I am the Lord, the one who speaks honestly, 
who makes reliable, dependable, trustworthy announcements. Then if you go up to verse 23 of Isaiah 45, I solemnly make this oath, what I say is true and reliable. And we'll come back to that verse in just a little while. But God is saying to his people, my word, what I say to you, you can count on it. You can base your life and eternity on it. I'm a trustworthy, dependable God. I do not lie. Everything that I have ever said, everything that I've ever promised you will happen just as I've said. And God not only wants his people to realize the reliability and dependability of his word, he wants us to realize the power of his word. And that sort of ties into our last point, but I want to mention it here. Go back now with me to chapter 44. I know we're bouncing around a lot, but in chapter 44, verse 24, notice this is what the Lord, Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, your protector, your redeemer, the one who will deliver you from exile says, I am the one who formed you in the womb. We talked about that last week. I am the Lord who made everything. Literally, I spoke everything into existence. We know that from Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. There was light. God spoke everything into existence. That's how powerful his word is. He alone stretched out the sky, who fashioned the earth by, all by himself. Again, God is revealing himself through creation. But then notice verse 25. This may seem sort of out of place. He also frustrates, defeats, or disappoints the omens or the predictions of the empty talkers and humiliates the omen readers who overrules or overturns the counsel of the wise men and makes their advice seem foolish. You see, there were people in Isaiah's day who were going around saying, we're not ever going to get out of exile. We're stuck here. God, God's not ever going to overthrow Babylon. Look at how strong and great Babylon is. Look how great Nebuchadnezzar is. These are just empty words. We're never going to get out of the place that we're in. God says, you'll see. You can go around telling me, I as God can't do this. I can't accomplish this. This is too hard. This is too difficult. But I'm going to show you one day, because my word is reliable and dependable. And it may look, humanly speaking, like there's no way anything's ever going to change. God says, watch me. Because then notice verse 26 in the very same passage. God says, oh, I will fulfill in order to validate the oracles of my prophetic servants. See, God speaks to his people and is faithful to keep his word. I will bring to pass the announcements of my messengers, who says about Jerusalem, she will be inhabited again. About the towns of Judah, they will be rebuilt, and her ruins I will raise up. I can even talk to the deep sea and tell the deep sea to be dry, and I will dry up your sea currents. That's who our God is. God says, you can trust my word. As crazy as it may seem, you can always trust my word. And then God specifically says this, and this is a prophecy that I want to spend a few minutes on because it, it really does confirm 
the reliability, dependability, and trustworthiness of our God, not only in that, but also that God knows what's going to happen way into the future, and God's already there. And so God is using the times now to prepare his people for what he alone knows is coming. So notice what God says next. I'll even give my people the name of the ruler on earth that I'm going to raise up to get my people out of exile. So the first time this man's name is mentioned in the Bible is here in Isaiah 45 or 44, excuse me, verse 28. God says, I'm going to commission a man by the name of Cyrus. He's going to be my instrument, the one I appoint as my shepherd, and he's going to carry out all my wishes. Now, here's the crazy thing. God was calling Cyrus by name as the instrument he was going to use to deliver his people from exile a century, a hundred years before Cyrus was ever born. Think about that. God's saying, I'm going to use this man a hundred years from now to deliver you, my people, from exile. Not even born yet. Parents don't even know he's going to be named Cyrus, but I do. And then notice what God goes on to say, he's going to decree concerning Jerusalem, she will be rebuilt, and concerning the temple, it will be reconstructed. Go on into chapter 45, because again, the chapter divisions are not inspired. This is what the Lord says to his chosen one, to Cyrus, whose right hand I hold in order to subdue nations before him and disarm kings, to open doors before him so gates remain unclosed. I will go before you and level mountains. Bronze doors I will shatter and iron bars I will hack through. I will give you, Cyrus, hidden treasures, riches stashed away in secret places so that you, even Cyrus, may recognize that I am the Lord, the one who calls you by name, the God of Israel. Though if you go down to the end of verse 4, notice something very incredible God is saying about Cyrus he doesn't recognize me he doesn't know me now, now think about this first of all God is predicting a hundred years before it happens that, that this guy's going to be born and that he's going to use him to release his people from exile and God is saying you got to trust me I can do this right the other incredible thing, and I think this even sometimes blows Christians' minds today, is that you mean God's going to raise up an ungodly person to do this? A, a, a person that doesn't even know him? He's going to be God's instrument? You mean somebody who's, who's a worshiper of a false god named Marduk? A guy that's never going to come to believe in Jehovah? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, here's where you and I need to take comfort, especially even in the days in which we live and where even politics and all of that can be so divisive even amongst Christians. There is no leader in this world, no matter good or bad, who is leading at any place in this world at any time down through history that is not there if God doesn't want him to be there. They are all his instruments, good and bad to bring him glory. And if God wants to raise up an ungodly person like Cyrus to deliver his people, God can do what God wants to. Because later on in chapter 45, he says, should the potter or should the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. God said, oh, I, I really do know what I'm doing. 
And God did exactly what he said he would do through Isaiah. In fact, if you doubt, if you're having trouble doubting how reliable and accurate and trustworthy the word of God is, take a plane and go from Phoenix over to London and go to the British Museum in London. You will see there something called the Cyrus Cylinder that literally states the history of Cyrus and his reign over the Middle East during this time. And you know one of the things that Cyrus said, even though he never became a believer in God, he recognizes over and over again that the things that he did, the nations that he conquered, the peoples that he released from exile was all based on God moving in his life. He says, God moved me to do this. God moved me to do that. He's giving God the glory even though he never became a believer in Yahweh. And you can find it even right there in that museum. You see everything that, I, that Cyrus did, including release the Israelites from exile in Babylon. God is reliable. And God is saying, the more you know me, the more you will realize how reliable of a God I am. But God's not only accessible and reliable, he's ever present. He is the great I am. In fact, in this passage, start with me in chapter 44, verse 24, and you will see this phrase repeated seven times in this passage. In the middle of chapter 44, verse 24, God says, I am the Lord. Then if you go over to chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord. I have no peer. There's no God but me. The end of verse 6, I am the Lord. I have no peer. Verse 7, I am the Lord who accomplishes all things. Chapter 45, the end of verse 18, I am the Lord. I have no peer. Uh, verse 19, I am the Lord, the one who speaks honestly. And finally, the end of verse 22, for I am God, I have no peer. Seven times. How many times did Jesus express the seven I am statements? Well, I gave it seven times. The Gospel of John records that during Jesus' ministry, he claimed to be the great I am. It's one of the reasons why they picked up stones to stone him at one point. By using I am, he was claiming to be God. He's saying, I am, and I am present. I am in the moment with you. And what did Jesus proclaim in those statements? He says, I am the bread of life. You need sustenance right now. You need nourishment. I am right now your bread. I am the light of the world. You need clarity. You need direction. You need guidance. You need illumination in your heart and mind. I am your light. I am the door of the sheepfold. There was no door to the sheepfold. The door was the shepherd. The shepherd literally laid over the entrance and exit of the sheep so that anything that wanted in had to pass through the shepherd. The shepherd was literally the protection for the sheep. Jesus saying, I'm your door. I'm your protection. I'm your surety, your security, and your stability. I'm the door. I am the good shepherd. What's the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. I will do that at any moment in your life. 
And if you follow me, as David said in Psalm 23, verse 1, you will lack nothing because I'm the good shepherd. He then goes on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's not just talking about that day that he will give us glorified bodies and raise these bodies from the dead once and for all. He's also talking about being the one who can bring us back, who can raise us, who can arouse us, who can cause us to rise again when we've been knocked down or when we've fallen down. He is our life, the one that can give us the highest quality of life. And then he goes on to say, I'm your way, your truth, and your life. You need a path forward. You need the truth that will set you free. You need my life pulsating in you. I'm present at this moment. And oh, I'm the true vine. I'm the one that anything you'll ever need, I'm so sufficient that anything you need can flow through me to you at any moment. I am. I am. The more we know our God, the more we realize he is an ever-present help. God is our refuge and help, a very present help in time of trouble, Psalm 46, verse 1. You see, I am is such an interesting statement. The verb to be in the Hebrew language only exists in the past tense or the future tense. It does not exist in the present tense. There is no is or am in the Hebrew language. It does not exist. The present tense is reserved for God's use alone. In other words... A Jewish person can say, I was hungry, or I will be hungry, but they don't say, I am hungry. They simply say, I hungry. Because to them, God alone is reserved for the present tense to be. He alone is in the moment like no one or nothing else can be. And, and this is important for you and I even as Gentiles to grasp because even as Christians today, we have to understand through our knowing God more and more, he's right there in the present. He knows exactly what's going on, every detail, though we can sometimes think God doesn't see what I'm going through, he doesn't care about what I'm going through, he doesn't really know how I feel and all that, that God is right in the moment with us. Because he never leaves us or forsakes us. And anything and everything we need at that moment, God can be for his people. He is the great I am, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheepfold, the good shepherd, the true vine, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life. Look to him. Turn to him, and you and I can be delivered and rescued and saved at any time from anything. And one other. God reveals himself, not only that we can be reassured and reaffirmed that he is accessible, that he is reliable, and that he is an ever-present help, but also that he is the strength of our lives. The strength of our lives. Go back to the end of verse 22 of chapter 45. For I am God, I have no peer. 
I solemnly make this oath what is true and reliable. Surely one day every knee will bow to me and every tongue will solemnly affirm. That's where Paul gets that from the book of Philippians. Again, mark it down. You may not believe in God, but one day you're going to have to acknowledge who he really is. And even for us who do know him, one day we will acknowledge him for who he really is. And they will say this about me. Yes, the Lord is, there's that present tense, but what is he? He is a powerful deliverer. Literally in the Hebrew, he's the strength of our lives. Because remember what we talked about last week. God delivers us through things. Not avoiding things, not around things, but through things. He told his people last week in Isaiah 40, when you pass through the deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the flooded streams, I will be with you and I'll bring you through. When you go through the fire, I will bring you through. God is a God who wants his people to see. I want you to be a through people because with me, you can get through anything. I'm delivering you, but I'm delivering you through it. That's what it was the message of Isaiah to the people of God back then. You're in exile, but I, God, am great enough, powerful enough, enough love you enough to deliver you through your exile. How do we do that? How do you and I get through especially the hardest, most challenging, most difficult times of our life? How do we do that? Not in our own strength but in the supernatural strength of God. The strength that can be the strength of our lives every moment of our life because, again, our God is ever-present and his strength is therefore available to us at every moment of every day. Well, we're going to leave Isaiah for good now. I want you to go over in closing to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Paul's book of Ephesians. And go with me, please, to chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians to grow in their knowledge of three specific things here. He begins his prayer in verse 17. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 17 of Ephesians, the Father of glory may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your notice, growing knowledge of him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth that we have as his people. And then I want you to really focus in on verse 19. And what is the incomparable greatness of his power to who? toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. This same power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all other power. Now, let's just pause for a second. <laughs> let's wrap our minds at least a little bit around what Paul's saying. Paul is saying to Christians, Christian, do you realize you don't have to live one second of your life on earth in or through your own power? That the power of God 
resides in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the highest place in the universe. That's a lot of power. And God is saying to his people, this power is available to you every moment of your life. If you believe toward us who believe. And the more we grow in knowing our God, the more we realize, recognize, and rely upon him being the strength of our lives. How do some Christians navigate the circumstances and situations that they go through? They don't do it in their own strength. They're doing it in the supernatural strength that only God can supply his people. But in order to truly live with his strength and in his strength every day, you and I have to set our our minds towards growing in our knowledge of him and literally looking to him and facing him and turning to him at all times, saying, God, I can't do this in my own strength, but I know like Paul, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through your strength. The people of God were going through it. They were in Babylon. They were in exile, far away from their homes, their families, the culture that they were familiar with, the language that they were familiar with communicating, and they were having a hard time. And God says to his people, I can get you through. And you'll be even stronger and better than you were when you went into this fire. you got to trust me. And while you're there, I want to remind you of this. Know me. And as you know me, you will understand more and more that I am your God who's accessible, reliable, your ever-present help in times of trouble, and the very strength of your lives. God is saying to us today, his people, and even those maybe who aren't his people, like Cyrus, I'm doing all that I'm doing. I'm working in the way that I'm working so that you might recognize that I am God, that I exist, that I am real, that I'm at work, that I'm here, that I'm present, that I'm available, that I can deliver, that I can save, that I can rescue. I can be the strength of your life. Know me, God says. Look to me. Look to me. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and get set here on the platform, and while they're doing so, I just want us to use our time in ending our service today and in our time of worship to just be a time where in our worship of God, we are saying, God, I'm looking to you right now. I'm turning to you. I'm facing you. I believe, God, that you are accessible to me. I believe, God, that you are reliable to me. I believe, God, that you are right here in my moment and you are the ever-present help that I need and that, God, you are the strength of my life. You have, through your son Jesus and through your Holy Spirit, you have given me a power greater than any power in the universe. You have given me your resurrection power that not only raised your son Jesus from the dead, but exalted him to the highest place in the universe. 
I have that power. You have that power. And God is saying, take my power and live your life in my strength. Would you stand with me? And let's pray. Father God, would you reassure your people today, God, that you're right there, that God, you're reliable, you're ever-present, and you're powerful. And God, as we worship you, worship is all about getting our focus back on you, God. So as we worship you today, God, may you fill your people with the fullness of yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.